Hello there, and welcome back to Check on Chef with James Cochran and Dan Henry from 1251 in association with Sauce Shop. So every episode, we catch up with your favourite chefs, discussing what got them where they are today. Their food loves put together with six of their favourite songs chosen by them to represent all this. Now, this week, we are delighted to be joined by the inspirational Sabrina Gale. Sabrina tells us her incredible story about starting out in hospitality, the struggles and the highs before releasing her much-loved first book, Persiana. All of this, plus her six songs, choices, which are belters too. Enjoy. Hello, Hello. is everyone there? I'm here. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? good, thanks. I was going to go, go silent and let you figure out whether I was there or not. <laughs> <laughs> Just rinse us out for 10 seconds. <laughs> Okay, so really, so thank you for, for joining us on our, our third episode of um, Check okay. on Chef. Um, we'll just go, go straight into it. So um, just sort of where you're from, background, and um, what you like growing so up. So I am originally from London. I live in Yorkshire now. Um, I was born in Iran and uh, grew up. I lived a quick spate in San Francisco a couple of years when I was younger and then came back to London. And... Uh, Grew up in West London, uh, schooled, raised, and now I live five hours drive away from there <laughs> in, a, in a quiet village with no shop and really just trees and birds, like the windows open here. And I was speaking to somebody yesterday and like, is that birds coming from your living room? So very, very different ball game now. Um, but yeah, I am still LDM yeah. reprobate. So proper self-isolating then. So what? What? <laughs> I am. I had to isolate. We were in isolating from the end of February, yeah. but like, I'm not going to lie. It's uh, it's not a bad place to isolate because I think right now walking around London would just depress me. London is the love of my life, and walking on empty streets is just not my bag. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So San Francisco must have been an amazing place to go. Oh, you were a yeah, child or a teenager? I was, or... I, was uh, I went to, I, I graduated first and second grade in uh, San Francisco. Amazing. Uh, it was a very different life. There were like brownies and, you know, going to the brownies and like Halloween was a big deal before yeah. it was ever a big deal here. And it was like, a, yeah, kind of picture postcard life. But ironically, my mum was only 20 years older than me. It's a really hard place for you to raise a kid when you're on your own and you need to just drive everywhere so we came back to London and I'm bloody glad we did because I love England I love living here I wouldn't want to live ever anywhere else to be fair the best city in London London the best city in the world you think have you I, I, I comfortably can say that because I live in a village so I can't compare <laughs> any old joke. It is hands down the best city in the world closely followed by Bangkok which is my second yeah, love okay. Um, but yeah, London is hands down because there's like nobody gives a toss who you are, what walk of life you are. True. Even as much as we do have our problems, nobody gives a rat's. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's a very multicultural you know, city, obviously. It is, and it's not without its ups and downs. But I'll be honest, being a, a foreign immigrant, you know, refugee kid, but not refugee in the tragic sort of day terms that it is quite serious thing now. But we are essentially, I'm a refugee. Um, you know, come here, and I've never felt never felt anything negative towards me or you know I, I do love this country for that we're very very mm-hmm. lucky to have what we yeah. have in the NHS and all of that so what no, made absolutely. you move to Yorkshire then 
Um, uh, Tommy Banks, who didn't make me move to Yorkshire. It's basically all his fault. So basically, a couple of years ago, I had, I kind of travel a lot for work and I just get travel fatigue at times and I'm just like, I'm flipping knackered. Um, and I, I decided to staycation it in the summer months, you know, when everybody goes away with their kids and whatnot. I just thought I don't really fancy going on holiday and sort of have rowdy time. So <laughs> I kind of went down to Cornwall and Devon and Dorset. And then I said, you know, I want to go to Long Clume. I really want to go to Long Clume. So we went up to um, Cumbria and then I said, oh, I, I, this kid Tommy Banks I keep seeing his name everywhere and you know it's just when he just sort of went mega mainstream like if you're a dickhead like me and didn't really know who he was yeah I just think I keep hearing about his restaurant I want to eat there so we drove over um and I, I stayed uh at, in Oldstead at the Black Swan and I just was like this place is just magical wow just yeah it's beautiful you know it, it was second of september it was unusually warm you know we got woken we didn't even have a good night's sleep because we got woken up sheep from one side of the room and <laughs> cows on the other but yeah. i was just like, what a really lovely problem to wake up to yeah. and i just kind of you know mm-hmm. said to the person i was with like that's it uh, this is this is where I, I need to buy my house this is where i need to buy, yeah. buy a house and I guess it's a beautiful place to be able to unwind, isn't it? Because it, I guess your life is so on the road and so busy. It's just a nice zen place to be. It really is. And also the flat I grew up with in is the same flat I live in in London. It's my mum's flat and uh, it's tiny. You know, it's London. Yeah, Two bedroom course. London, yeah, yeah. you know. I never had a window box mm-hmm. and like I have here for a fraction of the price of the pokey <laughs> flat. Like, I have a three-bedroom house yeah. with a double garage and an acre of garden. I saw your garden. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, <laughs> honestly, um, which I haven't put on social media recently because I didn't want to rub people up the wrong way and be a bit, bit mindful of the fact that not everybody has that freedom. But, I mean, it's total, but it costs a fraction. I remember I said to my accountant, he's like, you really need to buy a property before Brexit. And I was like, all right, how much money? And he was like, this much. And I was like, are you joking? I was like, you can't even buy a car yeah. in London for that. What are you on about? And he's like, this is this is how much you've got. Go outside of London and you will find stuff. I just didn't even think you could find houses yeah. for that. But it is, yeah, it is joy. And uh, just such a lovely food community here all over. They make everything. They've got everything up here. They make andouille, merguez, all that Middle Ooh, Eastern lovely. shit that I'm always trying to find. It's all amazing. amazing. So did you go into like university or after <laughs> after school? What Did you study? Or... I'd like to say briefly <laughs> I did study. And then there Love was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. James, I'm so shocked that you even made such a suggestion. Where that came from. Um, do you know what? The truth is I was just a really goody two shoes until I was about 15 I I was such a good girl never like good in class good grades good everything and I just went absolutely flipping mental when I turned 15 um and then when I went to college I was just too stoned all the time like, I was just really? literally I was you know snogging my boyfriend bunking lessons I think my attendance was 28 percent before I got asked asked to leave so um but some of the best entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in the world don't have a university education and i'm very much you're either that person or you're not you're either an achiever or you're not it's not something you can teach yeah, somebody sure. you're a go-getter and sometimes the less you have the more you yeah. want something so never did me any harm oh uh, so you've chosen um 
Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison to, to sort of um, sum up that kind of yeah. that time in your life? Is that what's what's the reason um, behind a, it? A, because that's what some someone calls me. We'll just leave, we'll leave that someone out of this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. They know. They, they know. They'll be listening. They're like, you're speaking to Jason too. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, very nice. Um, it just, there's a nostalgic quality about that song. And I am the brown eyed girl. And it just, it kind of references whatever happened to this and hey, do you remember? And, you know, that it kind of evokes that sort of mm-hmm. looking back in a sweet way and I, I that kind of reminds me a little bit of my childhood that and the film sleeping with the enemy if you've ever seen it you will know why that film has this song in it you'll remember it it's a proper scary film that one so what got you into cooking and what led you to wanting to become a chef um, so it's really interesting because uh, I say it's really interesting and that's just going to be a pre- set the precipice for it being a totally shit story. But when I was a kid, I grew up watching telly and there were no, because I'm a little bit older than you boys, uh, there were no uh, telly chefs <laughs> in the way that we have them now and they're kind of like they're coming out of our ears. Um, and yeah, so I started absolutely. watching Madda Jaffrey, an Indian female cook that was probably one of the first non-white you know, chefs on TV. And then she roped in her friend, yeah. Ken Hom, Chinese chef. Um, and I just, because it was yeah. only Delia. And like, I'm telling you, five-year-old, six-year-old kids cannot connect with Delia. <laughs> like, like, and I buy yeah. I, I <laughs> food. And even though curry is not in my culture, I was thinking, yeah, lots of little dishes. Oh, that salad, that looks like, you know, and I was just mesmerized. Yeah, James and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago that um, when we were kids, so we're talking sort of, sort of early 90s there wasn't really the only kind of programs we remember (laughs) the only kind of programs we remember are like the bbc2 program like food and wine and delia smith yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly it wasn't until kind of like ready steady cook and all these other little shows started coming on that it kind of exploded we, we felt but um yeah you're right it was quite influential for me and and you know ken especially i was really taken with not Ken per se, but his like recipes and, and cooking. And because I love Chinese food, you know, it's really popular. It's still very popular. Yeah. And I could eat Chinese. My mum always said, I'm sure you're part Chinese because I could wake up in the morning, breakfast, lunch, dinner, eat Chinese yeah. food, cold, no drama. And we had a yeah. Chinese supermarket <laughs> near our house in the 80s which is unheard of so it's really easy for me to go past pick up a piece of ginger which was not in supermarkets pick up wonton wrappers like and i'd come home yeah. with all this mad shit my grandmother would be like what the hell is this and i'm like i'm making wonton soup today i was like six or seven and you know yeah well you you, <laughs> wow. you just watch and it's if it's simple enough you ask for a little help you know we were we were allowed in kitchen with knives you know it's not like oh health and safety don't do that mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have PlayStations and all this mobile phones and Internet. So, like, if you were going to go in the kitchen, you would damn well listen to your parents and be, like, extra mindful because you were desperate for time playing with food in the kitchen. So you would be super careful and make sure you were not having accidents or being flippant. So, you know, I got allowed to play and do whatever I wanted because the truth is my mother didn't cook, my grandmother didn't cook. So they were like, kitchen was a free room. (laughs) Like, So... So how did that build on? So you were cooking a family and did it kind of, kind of took over, move on to really. friends um, and then... It's not like Ken Hom made woks really popular and then wok cooking became a big thing in the UK and almost everybody had a wok and that brought 
Uncle Ben's came to town and convenience food became a thing, whereas it really wasn't before the mid 80s. Like you wouldn't have packet sauces and instant rice and all of this. It just didn't exist, you know. Um, so that made it a lot more, yeah. a lot easier for me to get into the kitchen and start just doing everything in a wok, like everything in a wok. And I did. And then that became cooking yeah. Christmas dinners and taking over different meals. And by the time I was 11, pretty much the only person cooking in the house. So that's what happened. But that had nothing to do with me becoming a chef because, of course, after a few years after turning 11, I became a shitty teenager and I had absolutely no interest in, in no interest. doing anything other than like <laughs> kissing boys and like, you know, getting high and, yeah. like, you know, just being a terror. So what brought you, what brought you back into it? In I kind of started later working on. in the hospitality industry when I was about 18, 19, and I learnt every single department from clerical to admin to room service to clean, you name it. I've worked in every single freaking department. Yeah. I worked in McDonald's for three years. I worked in Pret-a-Manger. I've worked yeah. up and down the freaking high street. And you learn a lot of wow. life skills um, because I'd always had a job since I was probably 13, always done something. Um, so I eventually moved from hotels into restaurants doing events, um, and marketing. And I didn't really think I was going to be a chef. And I remember I worked, um, running events team, three restaurants working for Herbert Berger, who is, who used to be at one Lombard street, which is Michelin star back then. And he's, he said to me, you know, Serena, I really want to get you in the kitchen. You'd be a very good chef. And, it, you know, I was working with, like, Dan Doherty and yeah. Tom Chenchi and, like, all these boys were, like, they were babies working in the kitchens. And he would go, he would literally take me into the brigade, massive <laughs> kitchen, and go, you lot are all shit. She's a chef. And I'm like, oh, my God, don't say that. I have to work with these people. And they're thinking she hasn't even been in the kitchen for a day. And, like, you know, I just, I never thought it would happen. I, I was in my late 20s and I just said, you know what, chef, if you, screamed at me the way you scream at them I'd lamp you with a frying pan and I, it'd be over I'm not disciplined enough to be a chef anymore I just do what I'll do I'll, and I'll work in and around the industry of what I love and then I lost my job 2011 yeah. working in marketing and I became a chef because I had no money and I needed to earn money desperately because I had like 40 grand debt outstanding no assets no job um, and I needed to do stuff so I started teaching cookery classes privately and I started catering privately which I've kind of always done anyway yeah and would you was that hard to, to set up again no get I didn't go I'm setting up this catering business does anyone want catering business people always knew that I I would cook big dinner parties at my cousin's house and my aunt's house and I'd cook Thanksgiving and all the shit that nobody really wanted to do I would go I'd do it you know I love doing it and people yeah. <laughs> would come over and go this Moroccan feast like who who made that and I was like oh that that was me actually I'm that you know I'm so-and-so's cousin they're like, well, you know, will you come and cater yeah. something similar a do we're having? And, you know, I live in West London, which is quite affluent, not, not my house, but a lot of people. So word of mouth and people wanting somebody to come and drop off the cooking or do the cooking on a weekend. It's 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 not a terribly uncommon thing. And just boom, it just took off. And then I started doing supper clubs and then I did one that went viral um, in homage to Thomas Keller to French Laundry I did French Laundrette yeah. and then Thomas Keller's people called me up and they're like he knows and I was like oh my god he's gonna fucking sue me <laughs> like, um, no so basically uh it was the year that Thomas Keller was Harrods, yes. to cook at Harrods 
Yeah. And I was sitting all happy in my job 2011 thinking, I can't flipping wait for him to come. I'm so excited. He's honestly one of the American <laughs> chefs I give a shit about. I'll be, I'll be yeah, 100% okay. honest. And especially from 15, 20 years ago, like he's the only one I knew, like I respected. So I yeah. literally, you know, full on, I, my agent will kill me for saying this. I lady this over the thought of him coming to London. Up to him and respect his principles and what he did so much. But when he did come and finally announced it, that I waited six months from knowing about it to the announcement and the cost and the dates. I lost my job. I got made redundant. And I was like, yeah, 250 fucking quid. Shit, I cannot. I could pay that out stupidly and tell myself that I, oh, I'll just pay it out and it's fine. And I was like, no, you know what? The future, just like right now, is uncertain. And it would be yeah. really flippant of me to do that with the debts that I have. And then I, yeah. I sort of put it on Twitter and I just, just joined Twitter only a few months before that, that, oh God, it's so shit. And, oh, I was gagging to go to this. And somebody said, yeah, you know, hard times. And I was like, yeah. And I said, maybe I should just do my own dinner instead of 250p quid. I'll charge £2.50 and I'll call it French laundrette. Ha! <laughs> and then it just... It was in the event the next day. It went viral. It, it, it went bonkers. And I would plug my phone into the wall any time, day or night, my office line for a month and a half. And it would be, wow. I had people from Oz. I had half of Thomas Keller's kitchen team calling me up, begging me for spaces because I'd shut it down. And I said, you know, I'm going to open the landlines the same day that they open their landlines. And in the end, I had like a Times critic go to French Laundry for lunch at Harrods and come from French Laundry and write a comparison. And I was like, are you, are you <laughs> kidding me? And it was I've never mad. heard anything like mad. that in a very long time. Something that's gone that... Yeah, Google that, that shit, something, bitch. Something that's gone that viral. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So did that kind of put you on I the map in some kind of ways? I think it did because it was such a batshit idea. I think it, I, uh, I wish I could create that kind of yeah, story again. Hell, you know, you can't, you can tell PR geniuses, you could sit, sit Dominic Cummings down and get him <laughs> to create something like that. And he, he honestly, in hindsight, he'd be like, fuck, I wish I thought of that. But it, that's the truth. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. It was really natural, very flippant. I thought I was going to feed eight people at my house for £2.50 a head. And, you know, how it happened. But somebody said, you're going to feed people for £2.50. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, what are you going to do? And I said, I'll go to the butcher and I'll bake bones and I'll make a soup. Yeah. I'll, borscht. I'll figure it out. And somebody said to me, do you know what? You'll never fucking do yeah. it. And I, like to Capricorn, fucking red rag to a bull that is to tell me you'll never do something. If you tell me the sky is blue and it will never Absolutely. be any other color, I guarantee you, you'll wake up tomorrow morning <laughs> and it'll be bright red. <laughs> because like, because yeah. you tell me I can't, that's the biggest mistake is to push me and tell me I can't do something. And it, you know, look what it breeds. But it didn't change my life. Maybe it did. But because I wasn't really known for anything and I, I all the like lots of people in the industry knew me by default because I'd worked in restaurants but I wasn't really known for doing anything I hadn't done supper yeah. clubs before you know but it did create a platform so that after that people were like we really want to eat your Persian food and I was like really I don't really cook Persian food and they're like no no we really yeah. like, maybe if you do another supper club do it Persian and, and I just thought to myself Shit, yeah I've got to learn Persian and no food. one's, doing Persian, like no one's doing Persian food <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Sabrina, yeah. you chose um, Heroes by David Bowie. 
um, for the time of um, like we've got you into cooking. Looked, why, why was that? I looked up to Mada Jeffrey and Ken Hom as my heroes. They were my heroes. And as soon as I think about that, I could just hear Bowie in the background and the intro to the song. And everybody needs heroes. So in, in 2014, you obviously um, yeah. brought out your first book. Um, so tell us a little bit how, how it happened, the lead up, how do you put it all together? What was it like? like yeah. I mean, it's an incredible thing to do, but I mean, how, how did it come, come about? And how so did, how did it it, it's, uh, it's funny because there's so many misapprehensions. I think people think that, oh, yeah, obviously, Sabrina, she got a book deal. She got six figures. I'm like, are you mad? I got that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> You could put the cash in an envelope. It was so small. Like, um, the truth is, I I didn't because I was working constantly. I remember my agent saying, "Listen, go and see some publishers," and I did. I went to see a couple of publishers, and one of them said to me, "But they're fucking kicking themselves now." One of them said to me, "Yeah, I don't really think the world is ready for Middle Eastern food," and I was like, "Uh, wow." And I was like, "Have you heard of Ottolenghi?" Wow. Like. <laughs> And I just, I just lost it. And yeah, I just thought, absolutely. You know what? I don't have time to fanny around. I don't have time to write a proposal. I need to earn money and pay my bills. And an hour in this meeting is an yeah. hour away from my supper clubs and all the shit that I needed to 27 hours of labor for one supper club. So I had a lot of stuff to do. And yeah. one day um, in 2013, in about, I don't know, April, May 2013, somebody came to my supper club, a lady that I knew worked in the marketing department of a publisher, and I knew her through a friend of a friend. But for me, custom pay, you know, literally going to show up and have dinner. That's it. And basically, at the end yeah. of it, she was just like, oh, my God, your food. And I was like, what 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 was wrong with it she's like where have you been hiding this and I was like well, I haven't been hiding this I've been telling you to come to the supper club like let me know when when you're going to come down and she's like I'm coming back next week with my editor and I was like yeah okay great thanks okay great bye bye didn't think anything of it she comes back a couple of weeks later with her editor yeah. who is still my editor to this day and uh at the end of it editor was like yeah this is I think this is really great what you're doing it's really different and you know I've not seen anything like this and da, 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 da. next day there's an email that goes straight to my agent and uh you've had a book offer this morning and I was like oh and they <laughs> wow. had just literally wow. gone through my wow. menu my Instagram which was very unpopulated at that stage and my Twitter about all the food pictures that I put and all my recipes because I looked and I thought that, well, that, that's my recipe because they're like we want you to write this and I was thinking, they're, right, they're asking me to write all my own recipes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then at the bottom, and it said, and baba ganoush. And I went, tell them to fuck off. I'm not going to write a recipe book with baba ganoush in it. How many people have written that before? I don't want to write that book. And my it was like, calm down. I'm sure we can get you out of that. <laughs> it, just, it just happened that way. But I was very, yeah. very precious about not wanting to write the typical generic Middle Eastern book that full of, you know, like if I see another book that has a Quiche Lorraine fucking recipe in it, it drives me <laughs> mad. Do you know what I mean? Be, be, be a little bit original. When, when some, oh, I've got to watch myself because <laughs> this goes in a public form. When some you, clever, uncreative, <laughs> fuck you, I love a Quiche Lorraine, but when some person just thinks that they're reinventing the wheel in a book, I just, I'm like, we've already seen loads of this before from amazing people. 
why do we need to see this from you? Be a bit, be a bit creative. Do a quiche Lorraine and put chocolate in it or something. Whatever. That yeah. sounds pretty grim. But <laughs> so, so going back to the book. So where do you start? I'll be really honest. Persiana was written in in three weeks. And and it's ironic Fuck. because it's the book that sold nearly half a million copies out of all of my books. It still trumps all of them. And it's like the one that people go, I love all your books, but I love that one. <laughs> I was teaching um, privately. I used to teach loads um, and do catering. So I always had to come up with supper club <clears throat> recipes, recipes for teaching. And I had to write recipes in format to give us printouts. So I had about 70% of that book ready. Oh, Jesus. And about... Another fifteen percent of that book in my mind, the recipes that I just hadn't written down because I was cooking all yeah, okay. the time, guys. Like that's what people, you know. That's why it really freaking winds me up when magazines go, "Oh, food writer," and I think, yes, that's right. Just categorize me as a food writer. Like I never work seven days, and I can't run a kitchen. Even now, I can step into a kitchen yeah. and run a fucking kitchen with my food. But I was. I was cooking no different to anyone else before I had two slip discs and all this other shit. But, yeah, you savage. Know, so yeah. The, kitchen game, the, the kitchen game savage, puts a toll on your body, mate, I'll tell you. It did. Uh, let me tell you, you, you know, and the, the, the age number creeping up is, you know, it's, it's, it sucks, but I love working in kitchens. And one of the best things I did this year was, or not this year maybe, is bring back supper clubs. It just because it's my joy. I thrive. I love running a team and I can yeah. confidently run front of house and know every freaking pocket of 120 cover restaurant and event what's happening because yeah. I run events. And also because I worked every department in a restaurant and a hotel. And furthermore, I'm good in the kitchen. I know how to instill confidence in a team and just say, right, guys, push on. Just need to get through this service and then we'll have a beer and crack it and just sit. You know, I'm not a screamer or a shouter. If you want to be an asshole, I'm not going to have a go at you. I'm just going to do without you and just crack on and work double hard myself. You know, I'm a as 130 As 130 oh, came room for me, mate, I'll be, I did it once mm-hmm. and it didn't go down well. I did it with... Um with Phil Howard and Phil Howard to support my way through it. It was not fun. It was not fun. Doing something doing something <laughs> on that mass numbers mate was not fun. I was going down like a sack of shit. <laughs> give, give me give me thirty covers <laughs> and I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't even make food for thirty covers boys. I'm not gonna lie, I'm cooking for two here in Yorkshire and I'm struggling. And every day my neighbours are like, what do you do with all that food yeah. that you see on your social media? I'm like it just gets recycled into something yeah, else true. down the line. But, you know, cook, cooking is my joy. And because I'm super anal and control freak, I know I devise menus like the event that I did at Barboon. I knew exactly what I was doing. I said, right, this is a prep that needs to be done. This is what we need to do. And I'm methodical. Like, I'm a militant bitch in a kitchen. Like, everything is like, we need to do this. What's happening? Got 10 minutes left. Nope. Ten, five minutes left. Come on, guys. Service. You know, I'm like. I am the full deal when it comes to it, as long as it's my terrain, my food, and, you know, with the support of good, always amazing people behind me, because you can't do that shit alone. What's your best food creation <laughs> that you come up with? Or one of them? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one to choose, because I <sighs> am the make-everything-up girl. <laughs> I like to keep, keep things say. original. Um, I, yeah. Do you know what? I like to push the boundaries. I, I like to like kind of fuck with people's heads and, and what you if, if if you're told you can't do something and something is only this. I'm like, yeah, well, um, so a few years ago, I did a recipe for a savory Ooh. buckler bar. 
Um, yeah, and it was savoury baklava. I can't take credit. The first time I ever tried one, I, I always think it's good to credit where you tried something. Was um, from a, a, an amazing Greek lady called Maria Elia, who is a Greek chef that I used to watch on telly, and she had a green bean baklava, and I was like, <laughs> yes, this is a bit of me. Um, but then I was thinking about the principles of <laughs> flavour and why we like sweet and savoury combined food. So I thought about what's the most sweet and savoury flavour that's globally popular. And I thought barbecue. We love a bit. You know, why does your amazing Scotch bonnet jam from 1251 work? Why do I put it on everything? Because it's spicy, but it's sweet and yeah. it's savoury as well and that is a very addictive quality to people yeah. same principles of thai food yeah, you know, sort of mo- salt, yeah, sweet, yeah sour heat all of that so i shredded pork shoulder there's a whole other you know two fingers in the face of traditional baklava because i'm middle eastern and you know you can you, we can not talk about religion but you can really sort of factor in one re- what religious bracket i may fall into so pork not being <laughs> very traditional in my culture um, so I just made this pork, fennel, mm-hmm. tomato, uh, roasted tomato and feta baklava. And it had a like a spicy orange um, sweet drizzle syrup on top. And I remember the first person I'd really tested it out on that was industry. It was Ange Hartnett. I was doing a pop up with her a few years ago down at Limewood. And I was I, I remember it was her and Luke and the brigade that were sitting there and they were like, fuck how do you think of these things? And I was like, are you mad? I was like, I'm sitting here in front of you lot and you're asking me how I come up with this. Like, what are you (laughs) talking about? But what I do is I've, you know, I call it fucking with flavor. I mess with flavor. And because I'm not pleasing anyone other than myself, I'm bold. Mm -hmm. And I, Always the test is, am I happy? Does my yeah, tummy love yeah. it? Because if it does, the chances are most people will like it. And that's that is a and to this day I I've I get loads of like feedback about, oh my god, I just made it. I can't believe those flavours. And so that's an that's an ego sweller, that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then what yeah, wow. Okay, <laughs> what's your must have ingredient? And we can't say, I don't okay, say salt. Okay, good, because salt and pepper are staples. They're not even a must-have, right? Uh, chili, yeah, exactly. baby. Can't live without chili. Mama likes it spicy. Aye. Aye. <laughs> no wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Aye. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I love, I just love chili. Always mm-hmm. has to be balanced with, like, a sour and a, and a sweet. But if it's, uh, like... Hence why you love bank... Uh, we love bank Thai food. Because you have a balance of... Sweet, sour, but it's also the spice, kind of flavour yeah. that I put into my food. Wherever I use sweet, there is a squeeze of lemon or lime, and wherever there is that, there's always a little bit of sort of chili. You know, it just you have to understand layering of flavours when you use spice. Otherwise, you just get yeah. if you've just put spice in tomatoes, you get the most wickedly aggressive uncooked spice. You know, it's not great. You've got to put other other things in. There. No, it's not yeah. fun. Okay, so your tune. Uh, Witness the Fitness by Roots Maneuver. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's an absolute tune. And you know he's got his own, you know, you know he's got his own beer <laughs> out as well. Witness the Fitness oh, is a great yes. name Witness, for a beer. I don't, that's the kind of stuff that our industry probably shout at each other on the regulars. Oi, Witness the Fitness. So I just, I love that. <laughs> My love affair with um, quite uh, eclectic music taste is undying. I've got the most bizarre, broad music tastes and... Yeah, Bond. everyone goes bonkers, does. don't they, mate? Yeah, but this is pretty mm. tame for me, to be fair. But it's got a dirty beat to it, and that's what I love. 
obviously we know you love dining out. Well, everyone loves dining out, so stupid questions to say. But like two or three kind of memories that stick in your mind. Of dining out? Yeah. Hmm. One, I, you know, I've got... Big question. <laughs> Banks My whole life <laughs> is about food memories. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a really, really tough one. Um, <laughs> or a special occasion it's been or something memorable or you've travelled to, to Blakeville to me, been before. I mean, so there's all the, the, all the romantic sort of travel type. Oh, yeah, you know, I always remember sitting on the dock and having a bowl of cheese or whatever. There's all of that. But let's, <laughs> let's, let's bring it back to... Let's bring it back to England and, mm-hmm. and kind of like supporting this as, you know, where we live. Um, I had uh, one of the most decadent meals I'd had in a very, very long time last year, just before summer um, at the Ritz uh, with not on my money. <laughs> uh, my publisher took me out. Uh, she also publishes John <laughs> Williams, who's like a dear friend. I absolutely love John. He's just I call him lovely man. And he spoiled us really like a lot. And I just remember thinking like, I don't know what it's like to be a princess, but this is flipping nice. close. Like this just, oh, it was oh, just best table. Yeah. You know, the crab, the caviar, the champagne. He came out, gave me a hug and everybody was like really envious in the room. And I was like, oh, just this is heaven. That was a really, really, <laughs> totally, you just feel... You know the what? Setting as There's well, something right? to be said for that kind of service because you're you can spend almost the same amount of money in a much less yeah. know, a bullshit restaurant. There are plenty of restaurants that are not not of high caliber, but they trade off a location or just because there's loads of businessmen in that area and they charge the same price. And you're thinking, we go there, and you think that would be shit. <laughs> you know, like, whereas you could have spent half of that in your yeah. restaurant, or half of that in Brat, or half of that somewhere else, and had a an amazing meal you know what i mean so these generic types but i love that kind of service it's so special to be treated that way and not to be judged yeah like you know grandmas and granddads and it's essentially really normal down-to-earth people that eat there because it's so special and i just i just kind of feel privileged because it's not very often in our industry that we get to do that kind of thing and be treated that way um, and you know, on your best behaviour ish. Yeah. Um, so that that's one memorable thing. Um, <laughs> and you have a restaurant, so you just want to stick with um, that one because that's a good one to kind of. That's yeah. a good one. The the, the I, just a very quick memory is the first time I ate in um, Brat, and I remember um, Thomas sent out uh, those anchovy breads, and I didn't like anchovies to be perfectly honest. We always thought they smelt of ass and tasted <laughs> of ass too. Um, <laughs> And I remember taking a little piece off and I was like, holy shit, I want like nine of these, please. And so a restaurant that on such a simple dish, it's one of the dishes I'm missing the most. I'll be really, really honest. And as soon as I get that pizza maker bastard coming through the door, that's one of the first things I'm going to fire up is to make his bread. It changed my life, eating anchovies. Now I'm yeah, they, I, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, growing up in Whitspool, Wheeler's first restaurant I had, we used to have anchovies and just like got, not as good quality as that, but I just remember a childhood memory of eating anchovies and like people think they're rank, but they're fucking beautiful. Oh my God, they are. But you've got to have the right, the right ones. Because um, some brands I'm like, nah, forget it. Well, anything, it still any, smells well, like anything that's like super like salty us. is like, can you fuck off really in my eyes oh so you get a pick when's your pizza oven arriving uh i've been told at the end of yeah, I just june the other day mate it's uh yeah and, yes yeah. i saw that you absolutely <laughs> yeah, <I know>. twat. <laughs> yeah i am a twat um 
No, you're but, not. But, but, I'm so happy yeah, you're firing it up. It's going to take me a couple of months to get it under control. So I've been DMing people all over Instagram trying to like, because you have to leave the dough for 48 hours that you before you hit it up. So you didn't even know about that. So, yeah. I mean, mate, why, why do you think I'm happy you've got one? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be exactly. DMing you going, what the fuck yeah, do I do? Copy and paste. I don't know copy how and paste. <laughs> someone else about what kind of pizza dough to make, DMing someone else about how I can make that anchovy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. I might just light up my pizza. <laughs> um, so for this one, you've chosen Jump Around by House of Pain. Um, so um, was, it, was it playing at the Ritz? I just thought, <laughs> this is all over what's the vibe the vibe will be i'll be so freaking excited when you can go into a restaurant without social distancing that i will oh, be God. jumping around and i l- this song represents the like you know when you're hammered oh. at the end of the night on a dance floor <laughs> and then they play this and you just girls guys everybody mm-hmm. just going absolutely mental plus pound for pound word for word i can spit lyrics to that song so it is an anthem for me So now we are on to the quick fire questions part of the pod. So let's get going on it. Pisco sour. What's your biggest pet peeve? Okay, name a few. Okay, okay, okay. Can we have one? Okay, my next too, question. Too, too, um, too many to count. Uh, favorite favorite restaurant? I, I couldn't. I couldn't choose. There'd there'd be so many. It's impossible to okay, choose. Favorite, favorite restaurant just in London. Too many places. Ooh. Oh, mate. Hit us one. It, it's it's. Probably brat. To be fair, what what that boy does with fire and fish is sexy. <laughs> like, mm. like, um, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we massively appreciate you. you're an absolute legend. Um, yeah. Well, that, hopefully we'll see you very soon here with us at twelve fifty one. Yeah, um, what I tell you, what not even plague would keep me away from you for twenty twenty one. I tell uh, you what, you're you're first on my list to come down. And yeah. Uh, when I'm I would rather go down. for some Negronis and uh, and some Palomas. Uh, James, the less we talk about that, the better. I'm a good girl. <laughs> and, and on that note, so we're gonna we're gonna finish on your final song choice. Um, so this, this is tune, an absolute tune. So many happy memories of this tune. But Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Yeah, I rock out a hell of a lot. The A guitar comes out to this, so I absolutely love shouting it from the rafters. But Brightside because we got. The Absolutely. right side is ahead of us, hopefully, and we hopefully can all be lucky enough to find it. Thanks, guys. Um, Sabrina, you, thank you so much. Um, take care, mate. Love you take too. Care. Take we'll, care, um, guys. Yeah, definitely see you soon. Bye. Thank you so Bye. much. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. What a story. Now, a massive thank you again to Sabrina. To see more of her dishes, head to her Instagram and give her a follow, at Sabrina Gayor. There will be a list of all the restaurants that Sabrina and James have discussed in this podcast bio. And to you, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another legend, the Michelin star chef, Lee Westcott. Bye for now.